Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. Finally, I am back and sort of settled after absolutely insane holiday slash wedding madness. I am married now. Woo-hoo! And it feels so good to be back doing the woo. I really have missed doing this so much. Life seems pretty drab without all of my deep, mysterious, and precious follow the woo interviews. My precious. We've got a full moon in Cancer coming up on the 17th, which is also Martin Luther King Day. So be prepared for some watery emotions to crop up. That's the gift that Cancer always has for us. We are starting the woo back up with a really fun episode. This week's guest is April Hanna, founder of Hanna's Healing Wellness Studio and co-founder of media production company Path 11 Productions. For over 20 years, April has been providing clinical mental health counseling in combination with a variety of healing modalities and consciousness studies to her clients around the world. After co-founding Path 11 Productions in 2008, she went on to produce three documentaries on life after death and consciousness studies. She is the host of Path 11 Podcast and recently launched her first streaming television network, Path 11 TV. She's interviewed over 350 people on her podcast, including best-selling authors, scientists, and researchers of consciousness. April also has delivered over 10,000 Reiki and energy healing sessions to her clients and has spent countless hours documenting, investigating, and filming topics related to grief, bereavement, and afterlife studies. After April's mother passed away tragically in 2019, she immersed herself further into the study of the afterlife. She has now made it her life's mission to use her film production company and one-on-one consultations to help others become better prepared not only for their own death, but for the death of their loved ones. Because April has such a varied background and she's worked with so many people, we talk about all kinds of shit like her mother's death and how it affected her spiritually and emotionally, paranormal activity and how it's perceived through a Western psychological lens, her Reiki and energy healing sessions, which includes one where she visits aliens from another planet, EMDR, her recent experience with an elf or fairy being, TBD, we're not quite sure, and loads more. All right, this is a pretty long episode. So we should probably get into it. You might have to take a pee break or push pause and come back to it later. But let's do the woo. Your world as a spiritual teacher and you're an energy worker and practitioner. How did Mm -hmm. that start for you? Like when and where and how and all the pieces? So how I got into my woo? Well, I was brought up, I guess you could say, in a pretty open family. 
that was very woo-woo. I would say through the generations of the females in my family, they have all been incredibly psychic, very intuitive. I grew up in a household where we always talked about ghosts. My grandmother lived in a very old house that was haunted. We all had weird experiences in there. My aunt used to tell a story about when she was a little girl, she woke up and had a nightmare that one of her mother's friends had passed away and like ran down the stairs and told my grandmother, her mother, you know, what had happened and, you know, such and such, I think it's going to die. I just saw her in the casket. This is what she was wearing. And I think it was a day or two after my aunt had that dream, that woman had died. And my aunt went to the funeral or the wake and passed out because when she went up to the casket, the woman was wearing the exact same dress. So she had like an early premonition dream very early on. So, I mean, I grew up with a lot of these stories. So, you know, I think like most people, it kind of runs a little bit within the family. And I live really close to Woodstock, New York, which is in Greene County. And Woodstock is kind of this hippie town. And anytime you go down there, there's tarot card readers on the street, there's palm readers. So when I was little, my mom would take me there a lot. And, you know, she'd sit me down in front of a tarot card reader, and I would get my tarot cards read, and always loved horoscopes and, you know, just kind of got into that. So that's kind of like the background a little bit of the story. I was It was just like a very open experience always. But I would say like through my teenage years, I always had this calling to either want to be a teacher or a therapist or a counselor. I feel like I really knew early on what my purpose was or what I wanted to do. So I kind of found myself going to college after high school and majoring in psychology. And I ended up getting my master's degree. I became a licensed mental health therapist. And when I was doing my internship in graduate school, I started getting into Reiki and energy medicine teachings by Donna Eden through a couple of teachers. And so here I am kind of like in the psychiatric field, but noticing that a lot of the children that I was working with, because I worked on the children's unit in an inpatient psychiatric center, a lot of them were having paranormal experiences because they were still so young enough where they were kind of, they, they didn't have that veil that came over, you know, like when you get to be like 11 or 12. And some of the children were being medicated for what the mental health field would consider psychosis. And some of these children were just having some grief reactions and literally were seeing their grandparents that had just crossed over or passed away and they're talking to them and they're hearing voices and, you know, seeing these apparitions. But yet our mental health field doesn't really know what to do with that. And um, the children were getting put on uh, antipsychotic medication. So there were a couple of cases like that, where I started to find my, like the spiritual teachings that I was getting involved in and the things that I was learning about consciousness. And then looking at our mental health field, a lot of stuff started to clash a little bit. So that's when I kind of broke away a little bit from, you know, the traditional mental health field. And I continued to explore basically like any healing modality that I could get my hands on. I chose Reiki at first, because that was the only training really that had a certificate. So it was kind of looking for, you know, okay, what what can I be certified in and have this degree so people take me seriously. And really, from there, from my early 20s, I just became a sponge, like any book I could read about the chakra system, about healing energy, therapeutic touch, Reiki, and all of that. I just went for it. And, And I still go for it. I'm still studying, still learning. 
And I would say it kind of was like just this natural progression of being a mental health therapist and speaking with people and coming to understand their issues and their problems, but also really kind of now having more of this spiritual view on things and looking at people more as a collective rather than just looking to get their mind straight. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, that's kind of how it all, all started and really kind of branched more into, I would say, like the healing world and spiritual awakening um, in my early 20s. I, I love it when the early part of someone's life is in the traditional path and then it pivots because I think it's so cool. It's kind of like Deepak Chopra, right? Like he has that MD background and then he right. pivoted to, he did a hard pivot into the land of woo, as I call it. And it's so cool when you have both of those parts of your brain to access. You, you went, you know, got a master's degree in that traditional approach. So you're able to to pull on all of that schooling and also keep that kind of rational thinking that's needed sometimes. Because I do believe you can go too far in the land of woo. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's a little too ungrounded, I think. Mm -hmm. But you can also be open enough to explore the woo then as well. So it's, it's that nice balance. And have you found that you use any of your psychology? Like, do you still pull on that on a, you know, daily, weekly basis? Yeah, I, I would say every single session that I do, I kind of transitioned and call what I'm doing spiritual coaching. It's not supposed to really take place of clinical mental health therapy. But what I tell people is you're still going to get my 20 years of clinical skills. Like I can't, can't shut that part of right. my brain off. So of course, you know, and I think it's good because it gives me, you know, I've, I have really strong, you know, clinical skills from my experience to really be able to do assessments and really understand too, what is going on, what could be more mental health related and what could be more spiritual, more of a spiritual awakening related issue. Because a lot of times when people find their woo and start to experience it, sometimes people feel really crazy or they yeah. feel like, Maybe I do need to go and spend some time in a psychiatric center, you know, and is what I'm experiencing a hallucination, a delusion. What is going on with me? What's going on with my brain? <laughs> so I have gotten a lot of clients probably just because of the, the track that I've gone on where a lot of people come to me for spiritual development and they're trying to get those questions answered or they feel like they don't really have someone that they can tell some of these stories to pretty obvious when you go onto my website that it's, I'm very open. When people read about me, they'll see what my, you know, approach is. So there's already a sense of safety when people come into my office that people usually start off saying, well, I know you're not going to think I'm crazy, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so great. I'm happy that you brought up that point that when you find your woo, I think you put it, which is how I would put it too. You tend to feel like you're going crazy at a certain point. A lot of different things inspire that moment where you feel like you're going crazy. It could be after you've been studying the woo for a long time, or it could be, you know, you did one intense ghost hunt and something weird happened there and it triggered something. But it's so great for the listeners to know that you don't immediately need to go to you're crazy, that, that this is a perfectly normal response to what you experienced. And it just happens to not be in what we define as normal in our everyday realities. And back to what you said about the kids in the, um, was it the hospital you said? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's just, 
infuriating that they just immediately put them on that intense medication for psychosis because I've worked in retirement communities before and it is absolutely almost across the board right before people die they start talking to loved ones that have already passed and it should not be considered psychosis at this point it is an absolutely normal behavior for people who are passing or for somebody who's had an NDE which I know you know about as well I mean these mm-hmm. are these are now normal responses but we just don't talk about them right 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 yeah and you know and it might be talked about more and maybe they do things a little bit differently. Like, you know, I think I was in the psychiatric hospital about 15 years ago too. So it'd be interesting to know going back, if there was more of an experience like this, do they also look at it with a with a different eye rather than having to go straight to medication? A lot of times, you know, parents are scared and they don't know what's going on with their children and there could be behavioral and anger um, outbursts and stuff like that. So, you know, you also have families that are yeah, lost, and they really don't know what to do. And they don't know how to help. Sometimes an inpatient psychiatric facility is definitely the place where some people need to be. And, you know, other times it really doesn't. So yeah, it reminds me of this TikTok I saw recently, which, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it was about the woman from a Native American tribe. And she was explaining that in her tribe, if someone early on, like in their youth, starts to have some behaviors that are kind of off the wall, or they have like, they say they're talking to something that nobody else can see, something like that, they immediately, they don't medicate them, they don't punish them, they put them in with the elders who are shamans. And those shamans teach those kids because they immediately identify that as that's somebody who has a neurodivergent brain. That's the word we would use. And they're going to be a, an excellent candidate for a shaman at some point or the psychic in their community. And we just don't do that. I mean, I think I hope that we're better than we were 15 years ago, but there's so many humans on the planet and it takes us a long ass time to evolve. So I imagine it's it's not yeah. great. <laughs> I've also heard that as well. And actually, somebody that I studied from, Maladoma Somme, who I just found out yesterday, recently passed away. He comes from the West African Jagara tribe. And there, if you were to Google his name, Maladoma Somme Psychiatric Hospital, he had visited a Western psychiatric hospital and basically just said everything that you had said. You know, it was about understanding the way that they would take care of their people in their tribe and that these people were actually considered to be the gifted ones of the community. And you're right, the elders would take responsibility. And, and also, I think part of that article too, is talking about people who may have lost their way or were experiencing what we would call, you know, symptoms of depression or anxiety, and how in indigenous cultures, they will kind of gather around that person, you know, as community And I I heard with one tribe, they would continue to sing to the person until their soul came back to Mm -hmm. them, you know, so it's more of a sense of the soul being disconnected and lost, but they're not looked at as broken. They're not looked at as, okay, you need medication. They're really just supported in a beautiful, like tribal community atmosphere. And really, I think what that shows is that it's like love, right? You know, they're supported. They're not alone. They're being loved. Their tribe, their community has their back. 
they're going to be with them until this crisis is over or until the soul, you know, re-enters and comes back in. So it's, it's really fascinating and the different schools of thought, you know, when it comes to this. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I think we read the exact same thing. <laughs> or maybe there's more than one tribe that does this. I hope there are. Because I, I just remember that it was like, if there was a behavioral issue, they would put that person in the center of the in circle. The center. Yes. Yeah, and they would just bombard them with love, essentially. Yes. And that is such a like, totally insane concept for Westerners. Like, we're like, no, you absolutely must pay for what you did. Mm-hmm. And you must go to prison or you must in some states. Or, I mean, I don't know what's going on with that right now, but you can die. I mean, and we did mm-hmm. kill people however many times mm-hmm. in the past, hundreds right. of th- millions and millions of times. So it's it's fascinating that concept that you really have to work on that one because I find myself getting stuck in that too. But the concept that if someone's doing something that you don't like, or that most would perceive as problematic, that the best way to get them to do what you want them to do or to stop doing that is to not actually punish them or shame them, but to give them love because they're acting out essentially because they're not getting enough love in some way or another, which that can be very complex. But if you get down to the gist of it, it's almost always that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree 100%. Mm-hmm. I just think civilization in general has kind of, it's there's so many cool things that we've done, but we've lost so many of these very, very important traditions and practices. And I'm wondering if when you work with your clients, you know, you can't ignore your psychology background, but do mm-hmm. you pull from lots of different resources? You You know, you're constantly reading, you said, are you using different modalities depending on the person or do you usually just start with Reiki? Everyone is so different. So it's like you really can't use the same tools on, on every single person. So I'm constantly pulling from, from different modalities. You know, I've trained with a bunch of different shamans. So like in some cases, I might be doing a drum session. It might be drumming. And, you know, another person, I might be just doing Reiki. Another person, I might be doing the angelic Reiki that I was trained in or the esoteric healing. And some people, we just sit and talk, you know. And for some people, there's no energy work happening. But the energy work that happens is that I'm just holding space. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just holding space for somebody to truly be heard and truly be listened to can heal more than the Reiki, you know, it's like just creating that energy of love and true, like undivided attention. And for people to be heard is really, really healing. So I find that sometimes my most profound sessions are that it's just like sitting with person and just kind of being like this empty vessel and holding this space for them and them just really feeling heard and not alone. And that, that right there is the healing. That reminds me of Eckhart Tolle. I think he explains in A New Earth, uh, this woman who's about to die and she's kind of frantic about something that's not that big of a deal. It seems like a big deal to her. And his way to deal with any of these outbursts that she has is to sit in presence. He mm-hmm. sits and holds that space. And he just sort of asks her questions, you know, one by one. And eventually, just by him holding that space in a place of presence, 
she realizes on her own, they always do in all the examples, that it doesn't matter. I guess it's because you as a practitioner are in that state of presence and you're not in a state of reaction and your stress tolerance is better cultivated, let's hope, right? Because of the work that you do. So you're not going to immediately meet them where they are when they come in with this like, (gasps) Mm -hmm. and so then you're able to just automatically bring them down, which is an interesting thing about humans, right? We just kind of, we will mimic if there's somebody there to set a good example for us. The HeartMath Institute talks a lot about that, like with entrainment. I forget their their fancy word, right off the top of my head, but coherence to come into a state of coherence with your own heart and your own mind. And if you drop into that state of coherence, naturally, the person that you are across from will also learn how to drop into that state of coherence. And the other thing too, there was a person that I had interviewed for my podcast and I read his book. I loved it and uh, did a book club on it. It's called The Divine CEO, Jeff Thompson. What I thought was really fascinating when I got a chance to talk with him, he kind of talked about people being in a closer proximity to the divine. And when you are sitting with someone who is in close proximity to the divine, like that feels really good. That can heal as well. I think some people will use the terms higher frequency, higher vibe or higher energy, lower energy, you know, and I think sometimes when we use those words, people can get caught up on like, that's bad energy, this is good energy, or that's a low vibe, and this is a high vibe. But when you use these words of, you know, depending upon how you live your life, and if you move yourself to a closer proximity to the divine, you begin to exude that. And people naturally want to be around you, people naturally feel calmer in your presence. People just feel good when they're around you. And I have met people who have been, I would say, in pretty high proximity to that divine. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And it didn't mean that they were better than or, you know, less than somebody else or better than me. But you could really just kind of feel this presence and probably similar to like Eckhart Tolle, when you're around him, and how us as being energetic beings can really benefit from that, you know, and that's why I think it's so important for us to constantly be doing our own work. So we can try to feel that not only for ourselves, but for other people who come around us. Yeah, I think that it reminds me of times that I've spent with gurus in India and Nepal. And it's actually funny, because I think people would just automatically assume that any person who identifies as a guru in the Himalayas or like even, you know, in some of these ashrams and stuff in India, that they would all make you feel really great when you're around them. But that's not true because there's this thing that I think we talked about at some point in one of our conversations about the spiritual hierarchy that sometimes happens where when you get into the woo, at some point you start to think, well, I'm more woo than you. And so the ego's kind of like snuck through the back door. And even though you have the ashram or or whatever the, the paraphernalia around you that makes you look like you've got to have it all together, that's not necessarily true. And in fact, I've been told by gurus who did have those higher vibrations that like you have to be very, very careful when you get to certain levels of let's say liberation. I don't want to say enlightenment, but more like liberation from the ego. 
it's a dangerous spot for the ego to actually sneak in, which is, it seems ironic, but I wonder, do you see that happen a lot? Because you're in the woo community, you're talking with a lot of woo experts. Right. Gosh, I mean, not really off the top of my head, but I, I know what you're saying. I can think of not gurus per se, but I can think of some people that I have met along the way that are within the spiritual community, and maybe they are a spiritual teacher, but there also tends to be quite a bit of ego involved. What you're bringing up is a good point too, that you know we have to also use our own intuitions and who the best teachers are for us. And if you're kind of feeling a less than, I think we have to be careful of of that. Gabby Bernstein kind of talks about that in a lot of her books. And she's a student of A Course in Miracles. And she kind of says, you should put no one on a pedestal, you know, not even these gurus. And if you're kind of in front of someone that wants to be on that pedestal, I also would say that that's a little bit of an ego red flag, yeah, you totally. know, too, because it's somebody probably also, you know, using their power in it inappropriately in some way, or that there is some ego involved with that. I don't think anyone should be the end all be all. This is the way that it is. And not every teacher that we come across is going to be for us. I think you kind of go and learn from other people. You might have teachers that will trigger you that, you know, might, might be in your path or it's like a soulmate to teach you something. And, you know, other teachers, you just might find like, you just don't vibe with that person. And, you know, you do a lot better with somebody else of in a different presentation or the way that they, you know, teach or, or present themselves. Yeah, I would say that people should watch out for that. <laughs> Agreed. I think that's something that I, I, I bring up every so often because I, I have listeners come to me and ask me about certain teachers. And there's a lot of cults out there as well. There's a lot of like that that sort of their veneer is very spiritual. And ooh la la, like this is you're going to like reap all of these spiritual benefits. And when you get into it, it's total brainwash. and it's sucking up all of your money. And so there's that. And then also, I, I, I talk a bit about the age of Aquarius and how I think that's sort of the this is this age that we're in right now, the age of Aquarius is about sort of the death of the guru, the idea that like, there is no guru outside of yourself, we should be obviously looking to people like you for guidance when we need it, but not, I guess, how I would put it. And, and let me know what you think about this not ever prioritizing your intuition over their own intuition. I want to know with your clients, do you have people who come in who kind of just want you to fix everything for them? <laughs> and how do you handle that? What yeah. do you say to them? Yeah, I mean, I think that that probably does happen a lot and that's just that's just because people are desperate to feel better, right? And I mean, I, I was guilty of that myself, you know, in, in one of our conversations that we had too, you know, when you have something like physically going wrong with your body, you know, there's been times where I've turned to a medical doctor, which we wouldn't normally call a guru, but it's like, what can you do for me, doc? You know, can you make me better and fix me? And sometimes we want the quick fix, right? We're just like, okay, you're going to make me feel better. And I would say that's just a really great teaching moment for any client that comes in to feel that because I really am all about self-empowerment. You know, I truly believe that we do have the answers within that we are our own healers. Now, there are people along the way, you know, like myself, 
I'm still a student. I'm constantly learning. I don't ever want to stop learning. I don't feel like I'll ever have all the answers. And if anybody says that they do, I would challenge them. (laughs) Um, So like, there's some things I always say, I like to keep, you know, one or two steps ahead of my clients. You know, I've been through a lot of life. I've gone through a lot of experiences. I've, you know, studied a lot. I continue to read a lot of books and I might be able to give them pieces of things that help me something that was really helpful and give it to them so that they can find the power within themselves. And, you know, I just think when people come in and say, please fix me and you're just going to make it all better. I really use that as a teaching moment to bring it back to themselves, to remind them how strong they are in their own mind, in their own body. Like we are all the experts of our own soul. Nobody else is an expert on my soul. Nobody's an expert of your soul. So I think it's just a great teaching moment and to empower people and to empower them to take the tools that they learn to know that they can use it and shouldn't have to depend on a therapist. I mean, that's kind of where I really love teaching the modalities that I do because I think clinical therapy, you've probably heard people say, oh, I've been in therapy for 20 years, 30 years, 25 years. You know, and I don't know if that's great or not. I I really don't know. I mean, granted, you get to a point where you forge a really beautiful relationship with a therapist. They kind of become like a confidant. But I don't know. Does that what does that mean? Like if you're in therapy for 25, 30 years, is therapy really helping? Is it Mm -hmm. working? Should we be looking to something that's more short term and get people on their way? So, you know, maybe they use therapy more in these moments of crisis, right? Like, I can't problem solve myself. I'm too emotionally invested in this. Let me go seek counsel and, you know, work with a therapist. But I think we also have to be uh, a little bit careful, not only in therapy, but also in these modalities that we have to not become too dependent on, on any other person, on any one thing. That's the other thing that I love about Reiki, you know, in learning level one, you can teach people how to give it to themselves, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a beautiful gift to teach somebody then that way they don't always need to go to a Reiki practitioner. They have the Reiki within them, you know, mm-hmm. inside of them. The best therapist I've ever had have said, this is short term. I don't want to see you forever. Like straight <laughs> up. And I do really well with that, like direct kind of communication where they're just like, listen, you know, I want to help you in this situation because like you said, it's a crisis moment and I'm, I need some extra help, but I'm not going to be here for you for 20 years or 10 years or even two years, we're going to get through this. And then if you need me again, if you have another crisis moment, I'm here. But Mm -hmm. and I think I love the way one of my therapists put it, just kind of what you said, I don't want you to become too comfortable here in this room with me. Because that can then lead to some weird codependency. And Mm -hmm. Don't get me started on psychoanalysis, but that's why it doesn't really, really work. And it's a little bit, I don't know, would you say passe at this point? Like it's not really, it's still used, but not as much. And it's it's not focused on as much. And I think it's partially for that reason, because psychoanalysis was this like, oh my God, like you have to start with day one birth and then like go through every single freaking fracking thing that's ever happened to you (laughs) to this day. And then every single session, you're going back and re-traumatizing yourself by, Mm -hmm. by bringing that memory back up. Right. And mostly what a lot of people want to do is just let it go, you know, but yeah, our brains sometimes need to be better trained to learn how to let go of the past. I'm curious, since we're on this topic, 
what your familiarity is with EMDR and tapping solutions. I guess it's called the tapping solution. Is that it? Yeah. Well, it used to be called, well, it was called TFT, thought field therapy. And then like any modality, it gets tweaked a little bit. And there's emotional freedom technique, EFT. I was trained in touch and breathe therapy, TBT. You know, and that theory was if anybody experienced physical abuse, instead of actually tapping on the physical face that you just hold and breathe instead of tapping because the Mm -hmm. tapping could trigger a post-traumatic stress response if somebody had gone through physical abuse. So I've been trained. I've gone through EMDR myself personally, you know, with my own therapist. I've used the EMDR technique, which is really great because I, it's much quicker. Like the tapping therapies and EMDR, I feel produce just great results in a short period of time because you're working with the neuroscience, you're working with the neural pathways. It triggers the part of the brain called the amygdala that holds the trauma response. And then when you're using the bilateral stimulation, which is like triggering the right hemisphere of the brain and the left hemisphere of the brain, you really begin to rewire the trauma, you know, and you're able to kind of step back from it. So I have actually found those two techniques to be really successful in my practice and it works really well with trauma, grief, PTSD, fears and phobias. I've used it a lot for fears and phobias. Actually, it kind of works on anything when when you think about it. So and there's been like a lot of science and research done with it too, which you know you don't always need the research in science, but I think that it's really helpful with some of these modalities when you can actually see brain scans and you can see um, how the brain is changing after X amount of sessions. So yeah, those are techniques that I also use. I love EMDR. This is my spectrum, but if I, I would put like psychoanalysis on one end of the spectrum and EMDR on the other end, just in the realms of time, right? Because like yeah. you said, EMDR, it's, per, it's the quickest fix I've ever found as Same. far as relieving trauma. And it doesn't re-traumatize you, which is right. amazing, right? And then, as we said before, psychoanalysis takes for freaking ever. So listeners, if you haven't tried it and you're trying to kick anything, like you said, it could, it could be anything. It could be a phobia, a fear. It could be somebody you're pissed at, a, an emotion you're addicted to, any mm-hmm. of that, right? And you can go in and you can work on that for a session or three sessions. I mean, usually it's not, it's not too many, right? Like how, how many would you say usually? I mean, it really depends. I mean, I've never had to do a ton of sessions on somebody. It's more like once we clear something, then we might do another session on something else because the client sees like how spectacular it works. The other thing I really like about it is the privacy of it, where you just go into your own mind and you bring up the thoughts. It's like you don't even have to talk about it. You don't even have to put the words to it. You can go into some of the most private, you know, memories of trauma. And sometimes what happens when you're doing this therapy, stuff that you don't remember can pop up, things that you haven't thought of in a long time because the brain is reprocessing it. But it's also nice that you don't have to go into like the psychoanalysis and let's talk Mm -hmm. about it. You know, every time you talk about it, you begin to strengthen that neural pathway to the trauma. Right. So it's kind of, you know, counterintuitive, I feel. I don't want to re-traumatize you now, but I do want to know if if you are comfortable talking about your mother's death, because I know this Mm -hmm. is something that has been very influential in your work. And you had some really interesting experiences around it. And I'm just curious how you also as a therapist, 
Um, what do I call you actually? Do you identify as a therapist and, 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 or do you have a catch all? I don't even know. <laughs> I do not I don't know. know. What to, I don't know what to call myself what anymore. Am I? Just, I'm just April, I guess. Well, yeah, as a I therapist, mean, how yeah. you dealt with that too, because yeah. I think people would be very interested. Yeah. So my mom passed away pretty tragically in 2019. And there's like a ton of backstory to this too. When you talked about codependency, you know, my mom and I were very close, codependent in many ways. You know, my parents divorced when I was one. So she became a single mom early on, but she had a shit ton of trauma in her life. Just a lot of trauma before the age of 15. And the trauma just continued. I mean, my mom, in some ways, God was like a beautiful soul to be able to endure everything that she had gone through, but it just kind of felt like the trauma didn't stop. And so I think in order for her to live in this world, she really needed to self-medicate and get out of her body a lot. So she became addicted early on to alcohol, which later led into drugs. You know, she was a hippie of the 60s as well. I think she's tried every single drug under the sun. She got clean. She got sober. She had about 10 years of sobriety, which really great when I was, I think in my mid, like late 20s, early 30s or so. It is a bumpy road. It's a tough road. So I had a lot of different experiences as a child filled with trauma in dealing with an addicted parent, you know, that just really wasn't able to maneuver her own life. That led to me being the mom in many circumstances, and she was the child, and a lot of my therapy surrounded around the relationship with my mom, and how do I hold better boundaries, and how do you still love the person who is so beautiful outside of the addiction, and then how do you begin to create those boundaries around the addiction so that you don't get so sucked in? Very hard to distinguish the human being versus the addiction. The addiction kind of becomes... It's almost like an entity in itself, I really believe. It has a really strong energetic quality to it that really can kind of take over, I think, the person's soul and and energy itself. So towards the end of my mom's life, in the last couple of years or so, I wasn't able to really be there for her because she found herself back in a really bad state of addiction again. She was in and out of the hospital, going through detoxes, you know, trying to get it right, but was in a really bad abusive relationship at the end. And uh, the night that she died, she was intoxicated, but she was crossing a road at midnight and got hit by a car. If you would have asked me, how do you think your mom's going to die? I would say, oh, probably from alcohol poisoning, maybe a drug overdose, maybe she'll pick up the heroin again, but never in a million years. And all the years that I've been planning for her death, I never would have thought that it would have happened this way. So that was pretty traumatic in itself and kind of shocking. Being a therapist, working in the field of spirituality, speaking to so many mediums that I have interviewed on my own podcast, you know that I made three films on consciousness and life after death. I almost feel like all the work that I had done with my other business, Path 11, was like leading me up to October 19th of 2019. There was a part of everything that I had studied and everything that I had read that I had some peace with it. I understood already about consciousness. I know consciousness doesn't die. I know that this isn't actually a death and she's gone forever. I knew, was kind of excited in some way to know that I could begin to heal my relationship with her in spirit. And this is coming later on. It's been um, about two years now. 
So the tools and being a therapist, I kind of knew right away what I needed to do. I didn't postpone my grief therapy, found a grief therapist right away. I joined a grief support group. And even though I'm a therapist, it's like, I'm not a therapist in my own life. I'm not a therapist in that moment. You know, I can deal so much better with anybody else's issues, minds, <laughs> emotions, but with my own, it gets really clouded. I had all these tools, but then I had to find my people, you know, my own therapists, my own healers to kind of piece me back together. Like you, I know EMDR is the best way and the quickest way to go because I'm kind of like, I got a lot of shit to do. I can't hang out in this grief for a long time. Exactly. I got to get stuff together here so I can function again. I would say it really put me out of commission for, uh, I don't know, I think I was walking around outside of my body probably for a good six months. It was kind of you know hard to function and kind of felt at that point like, oh my God, do I even want to be a therapist anymore? Can I even hold anybody's stories? And that was a lot of the grief. You know, I was processing the grief, the shock, the trauma of the way that she died also all of the emotions wrapped up in the fact that you know, we had a strained relationship and you go through all the what ifs. Did I do the right thing? Should I have done this? You know, going through the trauma of the fact that I wasn't able to view her body because mm -hmm. of the intensity of, of the accident, you know, and I requested, but was kind of denied. Coroner had said to me, this was a tough one for us. He's like, I understand if, you know, you need to. And well, we've been doing this work a long time. And there's, you know, some accidents that come in that are even hard for us. So I just want to let you know that we can handle it. But this wasn't an easy one for us. But the funeral director was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe we do want to view the body. His reaction was like, I'm telling you right now, this is not recommended. And if you decide to make this decision, I mean, he was very like hyperactive. But he's like, you are going to need to sign a consent and a release form not holding me responsible for any trauma that you experience after viewing the body. And I was like, okay, I guess I need to just let this go. It sucks to not be able to see your mom that one last time, you know, or to not to be able to touch the body before before you go. So that and that was always something in the tradition, like I grew up Catholic, that we'd always have this wake, you know, in the funeral, and you have the ability to be able to view. So that was kind of something that I always thought maybe I wouldn't be able to. And that choice, in a way, was kind of taken away from me, given the reaction of the coroner and the funeral director. I didn't need to add any more trauma <laughs> into my life. Because I have the ability to remote view, I kept remote viewing the accident. I kept trying to like figure out what had happened and which way was she walking and kind of going back in time and using some of my remote viewing skills to do that. And she said, stop it. You have to stop doing that. Because there were just some things with like the police report and things that like weren't quite making sense. And it was a part of my closure. This might be like a good segue into talking about like sometimes having a lot of psychic intuition, intuitive abilities, understanding consciousness, knowing that how to remote view situations, how to go back in time, you know, knowing that there's no time and space, I would say in some ways, my intuition wasn't, and my psychic ability, ability to do that wasn't very helpful because I went to those tools and I probably shouldn't have because that mm. caused a little more trauma in some of the information that I got back. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that with me and with the listeners. I think I'm already thinking of some listeners who will benefit from hearing this because mm -hmm. they have family members who deal with addiction and have, I guess I'll say, are seemingly close to death quite frequently. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I have other people who have lost family members in similar ways and they don't necessarily know how to deal with that grief. You just telling that in itself is a gift, but curious that your psychic gifts kind of bitch in the butt in that process, which is funny. Well, not funny, haha, but it's kind of a silly thing that you would think it would be so helpful all the time. And you said something, though, about healing your relationship with your mom in spirit. Mm-hmm. When you said just now, she said, you got to stop doing that. Was that your mom saying that? Or was that somebody you were working with? No, that was somebody somebody that I was working with. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I wasn't sure. Yeah. So have you been able to communicate with your mom and how? It's kind of been a little bit of a wild ride, to be honest with you, because when I first kind of accessed her energy... I, I still don't know to this day, is my brain making this up? Is this a story that I'm creating in my head? Or am I actually experiencing something that happens for people with addiction when they transition? And somebody that validated my experience, his name is Matthew McKay. He wrote a couple of books, Seeking Jordan. And uh, there's another one on the afterlife that he just wrote that totally validated my experience. And I was like, okay, I really don't think that I made this up. But he talks about these different bardos when people pass. And when I was trying to access and find my mom in spirit, I first found her at a bar. And when she was there, I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing still drinking? I'm like, can you find the light? Can you go and find the light? And she said to me, she was like, oh, it's great here. I can drink all I want and I don't feel any side effects. I don't have any withdrawal. And she was like, get the fuck out of here. You know, like, because when she drank, she was really pissy and, you know, angry. And I was like, okay, that wasn't a great interaction. Then a couple of weeks later, I had a really intense uh, visitation in in my dream state. And she decided that she wanted to go through detox. And we were in a bedroom And I was helping her detox. And it was a little bit of a nightmare because it was really intense and crazy. And after that, I had had a a reading with a medium. I didn't share the story at all. And the medium had said, oh, you know, it looks like your mom is like in a detox hospital in the spirit world right now. Does that make sense to you? And I'm like, holy shit. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, You know, so I kind of had that experience. And, um, and so, you know, through meditation, we've had kind of a lot of conversations about our relationship. Um, I have a greater understanding, not only in speaking to her, but also utilizing a couple of mediums that I really trust and having her come through them, you know, and having these conversations of, understanding more and more of the purpose. I know that we were thinking about talking about soul contracts, but really understanding the soul contract between my mom and I. There's a lot of forgiveness there that I have. I mean, I have a great deep understanding, not only of her, but I think people who struggle with addiction is it's really based in trauma, you know, and she Mm -hmm. really didn't have an easy life. And to hear so many people say, uh, you know, when I speak to them who are mediums, that it was really hard for her to be in her body. Like, I totally get that, you know, and it just kind of makes me sad and pretty remarkable of how much she really endured, you know. So um, I feel her so often. Uh, We have like our own communication and our own signs that she gives me very often. Well, when she died, she died with a ring on her hand and the ring said shine on. 
And in the inside, it said, the world needs your beautiful light. So that was one thing that I received off of her body and have the ring. Well, don't you know, like how many times that phrase shine on has showed up? I was in Kohl's for crying out loud. And all of a sudden I look over on the rack and there's a, my mom used to love to shop at Kohl's and buy me gifts there. And there's a t-shirt that says shine on. There was one left in my size. Just crazy things. Her song for me is Benny and the Jets. So I kind of said to people at the funeral, because I did kind of more of a um, shamanistic water ritual for her funeral. We did it at my best friend's house. And uh, I did a bunch of shrines or whatever and kind of told everyone that had come that, you know, if you hear Benny and the Jets, that's my mom saying hello. And she probably wants you to contact me, you know, to let me know that, that she's there. And so many of the people that were at her funeral have heard the song, they're texting it to me, they're taking pictures on their car, you know, and sending it to me. And I hadn't, I hadn't heard it yet. And it had been two years. And I recently got engaged. And my fiance and I decided, oh, let's go check out this really beautiful arboretum. Maybe we'll get married there. And I was like, okay, I'm like, sounds good. Let's take the dogs for a hike. So we're getting ready to go. It's a rural place. So we needed gas. And there were two gas stations. And on the right, there was a pilot gas station. And on the left, there was a mobile. And my mom was hit outside of a truck station, of a pilot station. So when I saw the pilot, of course, some of the PTSD, I was like, I don't know if I really want to go into this, into the pilot. And I'm like, nope, exposure therapy, you're good. This isn't the station where your mom got hit, you know? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to pull in here. So we pulled in, we got gas. I go use the bathroom. I come out. And I'm talking to my fiance as he's pumping the gas. And all of a sudden, I'm like, it's Benny and the Jets, Benny and the Jets. And I said to her, I was like, mom, when you play this song for me, it has to be super clear. Like, I really have to know that this is you. There's no doubt about it. So wouldn't she freaking choose to play the song outside of the pilot station where she got hit, you know, not at that same exact location. And then the there's a Dunkin' Donuts connected to this um, pilot station. And the driver who had hit her worked at Dunkin' Donuts. The whole synchronicity of it. And here we are trying to make plans for our wedding. And it was just like, okay, I think my mom agrees. This is where we should get married. You know, so I really felt like she was there with me in the moment. And it took two years to hear this freaking song. I'm like, when am I going to hear this song? I used to hear this song all the time, you know? Um, so that was kind of a really beautiful moment. So that, you know, I tell these examples because in spirit, it's not like I'm having full-blown conversations of my mom and I talking to each other like you and I are talking now. It's like you really have to pay attention and be aware of the different signs and asking for your loved one, what is your sign going to be? And watching for those and then feeling their presence. So I do feel like my mom and I have made a lot of amends in the spirit world. I also feel like she's now one of my guides, that she's helping me you know, and that she's still doing the work, like the work that I do on myself in regards to our relationship is also equally going to help the evolution of her spirit as well. Mm -hmm. So it's also important for us, even if a loved one has passed and if it was a complicated relationship to continue to work that out. So not only are we healing, but we're also helping the person in spirit to be able to heal. So I hope that answers parts of your question. Well, I think it's so cool. And I think it's so helpful that she picked that exact moment. I feel like she was just waiting for a, one that was like the perfect moment. All the pieces would kind of click together. Because it's funny, everybody else heard Benny and the Jets, but you. 
for that long. And they're like, oh, we heard it. We're there. We're like, she's with us. And, and it feels like she was waiting for that moment. That's an important tool for people to remember that you can ask for mm-hmm. it to be like, okay, no question that it came from you, please. Can you, because right. I'm really struggling with everything that happened. I can't tell if I'm making stuff up. Could you just make sure there's not going to be a doubt in my mind that it's you? And you can absolutely ask that. That's not a crazy thing to ask. And I, I think that's great that you brought that up. And ask them for it to be like clear, concise, like without a shadow of a doubt. Sometimes people will be like, oh, I saw a cardinal. Or, oh, I saw a bird. Was that my mom? Was that my dad? You know, right. I'm not sure. I felt like it was, but I don't know. We have birds around here all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you can ask for something really specific. And, you know, the animal kingdom, it's so easy for spirit to be able to access through the animal kingdom, which is why we often see birds and, you know, feathers and the radio waves and music, because it's easier for them. And, and what I've understood is that it takes a lot of energy for them to lower their energy in order to communicate with us, very similar to how we need to rise our energy to be able to communicate with them. Totally. So, you know, some of those ways are the easier ways for them to be able to communicate through us, you know, and through the numbers and the clock. And, you know, those are all things that you should just say, was it, you know, you should say, yes, it was I'm going to take that as a sign, but you can ask for more specific signs. And, you know, they'll get better at communicating with you as you will with them. Yeah, it does seem to be like it's more mental impressions or like path 11 is based off of you seeing 1111 all the time, right? Is that right. where you got that from? And that's a really popular one, 1111 or 222 or 444. But yeah. there's a lot of cool energy behind the number 11 as well. But in my experience, yeah, it's, it's mostly been those mental impressions or sort of them giving you the synchronicities to sort of let you know that they're here. But I'm curious if you got like a, a paranormal expert, like somebody who is just in the land of talking through like ghost boxes or collecting EVPs through recorders. It's like, I'd, I'd love to hear the conversation between them and mediums and sort of like how they crisscross because I'm always curious about what they say about EVPs that like you can get a clear voice, but it's almost like an imprint of a thing. It's not the exact Mm -hmm. thing. Or sometimes it's just like this echo or it's maybe it is a voice, but they only had enough electricity available to get down to our like lower vibrations to say one phrase. And then you're like, God, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I don't know what you're telling me. (laughs) I would love to know all the answers to the universe, like how in the hell, what's it like over there, you know, and and are they constantly like trying to get through to us? Or are they just kind of like, you guys are fine, I'll get to you when I can get to you, you know, what do you think about that? Where do you think your mom is chilling right now? Well, I mean, she's probably already reincarnated in in another body. Yeah. I mean, I don't think souls necessarily probably hang out too long in in this other world. I mean, again, space and time, who knows? You know, I, I do believe that the souls do the life review. I think that she, 
you know, is learning. And when you think about it, when we're in spirit, we don't have mouths, we don't have voice boxes. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that here we are trying to use something to hear the actual voice. But in reality, it's kind of like we're not up there with our lips and our mouth, and, yeah. you know, our tone of voice. So it makes sense. That's got to be really hard for them to try to come through and verbalize through this machine, you know, yep. to be able to do that. I interviewed uh, Whitley Strieber for our podcast and his wife recently died. And he had a lot of, and still does, like communicates with her. They wrote a book together, crying out loud. And he basically said, um, I remember his interview, um, you know, pretty well because she came through in our podcast. I mean, it was crazy. He has like state of the art podcasting um, equipment. And as soon as he started to break open into the story, it got all distorted for like the entire thing. It was wild. We had no interruption, no, no things whatsoever. But anyway, um, digressing. Yeah. But what he basically had said is that she was like trying to get his attention and like he, he wasn't like paying attention to her because he couldn't hear her or see her when she was in spirit. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people that I have interviewed and a lot of mediums say it's like, they're here right now because, you know, all consciousness and all that there is, is, it's just is, you know? So I feel like, you know, that we do have the ability to access the information of my mom's consciousness. But do I feel like my mom is just hanging out somewhere in the ethers waiting for me to talk to her? No, what, what I believe is that there is a piece of a consciousness that was her that when I go to communicate with now, I have access to, and it still has the opinion of what she would say. It still, you know, maybe has some of the energy of her, but what her soul and consciousness moved on to, I don't really know. But in, uh, you know, another teacher and uh, mentor, Tom Campbell, that I've studied with a lot, he basically says, souls don't tend to hang out too long in like this nowhere land. People usually want to get back into an experience because the whole purpose of our consciousness is to evolve. And in that place sometimes, or in that bardo, there's not, there may not be a whole lot of evolution happening. It's just spirit, spirits tend to get bored and want to come back, mm-hmm. you know, fairly quickly. So I feel like when I'm accessing her and I'm communicating with her, I feel that there's a part of her consciousness that existed on this earth as my physical mother in this lifetime is what I'm interacting with. But I believe that there are probably other aspects of her consciousness that are in different places in the universe. You know, there could be a part of her consciousness, maybe that is always worked as a guardian angel with somebody, or maybe she has already reincarnated and it's like a little boy somewhere half across the world. And, you know, who knows? So I don't know. All I know is that I can access the consciousness of what I remember her to be and just continue to evolve that together as as we can and take the signs that I get and just kind of move on from there, I guess. Still right. a mystery. Still a mystery. I'm not it is. sure. Yeah. Well, we we both are similar in that we're seekers of the woo and we like to talk to di- lots of different people. I think you said you've interviewed over 350 people in, yeah. this, in this world. So we're similar in that way that we want to know the answers to the mysteries. But I think we've, we both agreed that you just end up with more questions than answers <laughs> usually. Yes. So, I mean, if there is some cool stuff that you can find out. And I think over time, more things will 
develop and and will evolve more to be able to see things better that we didn't understand before. But at the end of the day, I don't think we'll ever understand the whole enchilada, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I don't sad. think so either. <laughs> I know. One thing you brought up, the souls get bored in that in-between land. Mm-hmm. And I think about Brian Weiss and, and his book, Many Lives, Many Masters, and how he talks about that place that we go to that's the, like chill love place in between, right? And um, it's so funny because I complain about how annoying life is. And I'm like, why? Why did I want this hard stuff? Like, I just want to go back to that in-between place. And the truth is, though, that it's probably pretty boring there after a while. Yeah, like you said, that you get there and you I imagine we do want to get back pretty quickly because the whole universe seems to run on that intrinsic desire to evolve. Sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, from what I understand, from what Tom Campbell had said to me once is that people can choose to take a break and hang out there. So oh, yeah. They usually don't stay there too long because that's all that it is. There's, there's nothing to evolve you there. It just, it just is. So I think that's why we might choose to, to come back in a hurry and to continue the process of, of evolving. You answered another question that pops up in my mind every so often too. And that's that, that a piece of your mother's consciousness you have access to, but she could already be reincarnated in another physical body. And I think that kind of, I love that answer because I think a lot of people are like, wait a second, if we don't stay that long in that in-between realm and I still work with my mom or my grandma or whoever in the spirit realm, if she's already reincarnated, reincarnated, how am I talking to her? You know, because her consciousness is elsewhere, but we have such a finite understanding of how amazingly vast our consciousness is. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, in these human bodies, it, it has to be, we think of it so, so tiny, like this mm-hmm. one little meat suit is all that's happening. And even while I'm talking to you and you're talking with me, we're elsewhere at the same time. Our pieces of our consciousness are elsewhere, perhaps even in other dimensions that we have zero information about. So... <laughs> I mean, sit on that for a second. (laughs) Yeah. I recently interviewed another person that kind of blew me away. And I I forget her name. Like you said, I have, I've interviewed so many people, you know, each week, but I remember her saying, there's a piece of you also in spirit right now. I was like, Whoa, (laughs) wait wait a second. second. (laughs) I thought I'm just going to get there when I leave the physical body, but you're right. You know, and that kind of reminded me like, of course, there's a piece of my consciousness consciousness and spirit, God, I sure hope it's there to remind me, you know, that's probably more of like the internal guidance system that we feel is that that part of us that is always connected in to the other realm is up there while we're down here and we're never disconnected from it. So I, I agree with you. I think that we don't even know probably the levels of where our consciousness really is or where it can go. I imagine it can get pretty weird. And and mm-hmm. I've heard that the possibilities are endless. I mean, <laughs> like I just spoke with this fairy expert and she blew my freaking mind. She's written like, I don't know, 20, 30 books on the woo, but focuses a lot on fairies and the, the folklore behind fairy witchcraft and, and all of that kind of stuff. And 
one of the things that's really cool about her is that she is one of those humans that can retain gobs and gobs of information so she can just like rattle off dates and all this anecdotal evidence there is so much anecdotal evidence that there are different dimensions with other fairy beings it's like you have this person who's just like oh yes and in 1988 and in 1772 and over here in africa and over here in ireland and you're just like at that point there's so much evidence and even though we can't see it or experience it in an everyday basis when do you say like there has to be something there you know there has to be something and just because i don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't exist I feel like a lot of the UFO researchers and, you know, people that study that too, same thing. They're like, look at all of this evidence. Look at all of this research. Like, this is not new information just because, it, well, and now the government has released some of those classified documents. You know, it's almost like people have been waiting for the government to say, yes, there are UFOs. It's like, well, <laughs> well we kind of already know that, you know? Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, I think that there's always going to be challenges to it or a lot of stuff that we're researching and what we're talking about, um, sometimes you cannot see with the physical human eye. So I think no matter what, there's always going to be this constant search of trying to find this information to refine it, to prove it. And I think I think the study of consciousness has come a long way. You know, I think we are doing that now. Yeah. And, you know, my mom said something really cool once. She was like, We'll keep expanding and expanding and expanding. That's what we're here to do, to evolve the universe itself. We're pieces of it. And we're with every breath we take, with every action we take, we're actually expanding the whole thing. So we're creating it as we go. So if we, mm-hmm. if enough of us decide, for instance, that we want to understand what fairies are doing over in dimension 76 or whatever, <laughs> then perhaps that becomes part of our expansion. I mean, I feel like, you know, you get into the realm of tulpas then too, which I learned about recently, which is that idea where you have enough people have a thought about a thing and then the thing comes to pass. It it comes into quote unquote reality, which is debatable as well, (laughs) what that Mm -hmm. really is. I think that's kind of a neat idea that like at any moment we could change it because we're co-creators, because we're part of God. We're part of the OG primordial universal ooze, so to speak. This is something I get hung up on. And I'm wondering how you would answer this. People say, well, why don't we just have peace on earth if we know in the in-between space that that's all peace and loving and we're all connected and we remember that. Why don't we bring that with us into this physical environment? Well, I mean, I don't know exactly what I think about it. I I know (laughs) what I've heard about it. And it seems to make sense is that I do think that there are other dimensions, other planets, other places in the universe where it is all peace. Because I've been to a planet with that. You know, when people say that, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we all want love and peace. But I don't know if this planet per se is meant for that. Because... I do feel like every human being that has ever walked this earth, I mean, every human being that walks this earth is going to experience trauma in some form, whether it's mild or severe, you can't be on this planet without experiencing some sort of duality. So I kind of feel like the laws, the physics, the rules of this planet were kind of set up for 
people to learn. I mean, I've heard people say this is a school and this is the quickest place where you can evolve because it's really dense and stuff that we go through really helps the evolution process to happen a little bit quicker than maybe some other planets or other places that we can inhabit as a soul. I think that there is an evolution of the human species on planet Earth that is trying to evolve more into the heart center. Like there was a woman that we interviewed for the first film that we did, The Path Afterlife. And she was one of my Reiki masters. And she had this great explanation about how human being has evolved through the chakra system and that we were really beginning to, now we're beginning to evolve more into the heart center. But she kind of talked about like the caveman days was like the root chakra. It's all about survival, you know, fight or flight. And then she said, then we move into the sacral chakra and that was more about creativity and we moved into the industrial era. And then, you know, here we are more in the stomach chakra now where we're a little more ego-based. It's, it's all about me. It's all about money. It's I want to do best. You know, I want to be the best influencer on Instagram. Hey, look at me. How much money can I make? We've kind of been stuck in the stomach chakra for a long time. And, you know, we made this film back in 2008. And she said, but I really believe that the planet is starting to evolve more into the heart chakra. And I was like, hmm, okay. You know, this was just one of these things that I heard. And it was like, it was really interesting. It was a really cool way to describe stuff. But it's like, so then what does that mean? If we continue to evolve more into like humanitarian, which I feel like we're doing that, right? People are paying more attention to the earth. We're trying to help the earth. And we're kind of all rallying together. Some people might disagree with me through COVID times, you know, but it really does feel like when we have some of these disasters and natural disasters, people are rallying to help others. And I think that we can, if you look for it, we could really see that humanity is really trying to be in a more loving, more accepting, you know, place. That also means that with that, people have had to fight for some of that, fight for some of that justice, fight for some of that safety. But I think that we are moving into the heart chakra. So if I go with what she said, what does the world look like if we land in the heart chakra and then we begin to move into uh, the throat chakra? And then what happens when we move into the third eye? And I think Teal Swan might have said this in something, either in an interview that I had of hers, or maybe I was watching some of her stuff. And she's not the only person that said it, but said, eventually, we won't even have to communicate with our voice, that we will just be a planet that communicates in thought form, which to me is third eye chakra. So and then what happens? Do we eventually evolve? you know, into the crown chakra, and then maybe, you know, another planet is born and, and physical life comes, you know, maybe each planet evolves through the chakra system, and then we go to another planet, you know, I'm not sure. So <laughs> when people say, why isn't there peace on Earth? I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the short answer is we just we're here to go through some tough times to evolve and to grow up. Heard. Yes, I agree. I think a lot of people I've I've spoken with have said that Earth is the hardest planet of all the yeah. planets and that that's where star seeds the concept comes from is that there were some star seeds I've been told many times that I'm a star seed I'm like why the fuck am I here this place sucks sometimes so just that idea that we came to help the planet kind of move into maybe the next chakra which is a cool idea I've never heard that before that's an interesting yeah. concept so I have to go back to the planet that you visited. What happened? Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah, so, so curious since yeah, we're on this now. Yeah, this is kind of a fun story. And it was one of these kind of holy shit moments. Like, I just can't even believe this happened right now. So, <laughs> so 
So I had a client that would come to me for Reiki and she was a young girl and, you know, she had a pretty traumatic life, you know, things that had gone through, lost a parent really early on in a tragic way. She was beautiful, is beautiful. You know, she's still alive, very tall, really distinct features, very like artistic, the way that she would put clothes together, the way that she would kind of do her makeup. But the amount of self-hatred that she had for herself was just unbelievable. And she just had like a real unique look. She would get teased a lot because she really developed into womanhood, I think at like age eight, right? It was like almost already six foot tall, had her boobs. I mean, it was just like really quick and probably was tortured, you know, through being teased and, and all of that. So and then, you know, add on some of the trauma that she had within her life. And, you know, she just really did not love herself at all. And struggled a lot with, you know, depression and just could not see the beauty of who she was. So in one session, I remembered, you know, again, in the films that I did, that Tom Campbell, the nuclear physicist said, well, you can go anywhere you want in the universe. You just set your intention and you go. And I was like, that's it. I just set my intention. I can go anywhere I want in the universe. So I kind of heard his voice during this Reiki session. And I was like, okay, I'm going to set the intention that I would really love to have a better understanding of this woman's inability to love herself. Where did she come from? Because like you were saying with the star seed, she would say all the time in sessions, I just want to go home. And I don't know where that home is, but I, I've never felt comfortable on earth. I don't feel like this is my home. It's so hard to be here. I just feel like I don't belong. And she has this really distinct look about her that would be like, I think she is some sort of alien of some sort. You know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure where she's from. But so with hearing that, her hearing her say that time and time again, I just figured, okay, I'm just going to set the intention. If she's not of this earth and if she comes from a different planet, can I please be shown her planet? Can I have an understanding of this planet? And is there any information that I can bring back that could possibly help her with her self esteem? So I'm doing this Reiki session, deep into it, deep into this intention, like take me where she's from. All of a sudden, I pop out of the earth and I go to this planet. And this planet, and I will never forget it. It was beautiful and it was all like emerald green and light fluorescent green, but it was a green planet and it was all peace and love. Mm. And the, the beings on this planet were very tall. They were very slim, you know, similar to her, but tall, like real tall. And they kind of maneuvered. It's kind of hard to put this in a description if you're not actually watching me, you know, watching the video. So I'll do my best uh, for those who are listening. <laughs> they kind of like waddled over a little bit as they were walking and they were just filled with so much love. And one of them, I'll call them the an alien or an entity, came up to me to say hello and welcome me on the planet. And when they did, they put their hand up like a high five. And in thought form, they instructed me to meet their hand like this. And this is the way that we say hello here. And as soon as I touched this alien's hand, I just felt this incredible love and peace. And so I asked, I said, why did you send her to earth? And it was similar to what we were just talking about. She's like, the information that I got was she wanted to evolve more. And in order to evolve more on this planet and to know even more love and peace, 
it's kind of like she had to come to earth to experience a lot of this devastation. But because she was of such a peaceful planet, being here on earth, she had a really hard time understanding why people were so mean, you know, why so many people hurt her, why so many people would say mean things to her. So it was almost like I had a greater understanding of the trials and tribulations that she went through and the reasons why and where she came from. So it's kind of like a funny thing being on this planet and they're walking over to me and they're, you know, doing this. And this is how we said goodbye with placing our hands together. And I got done with the session and I said, well, I think I visited the planet where you're from. I think I have a better understanding. And so I kind of told her the purpose of this planet and the information that they had given me and why they thought it would be a good idea for her to come down to Earth and that this was part of her soul plan that she actually wanted to learn more because she had so much peace and love to give because she's originally from this planet that she could give that, but she also needed to experience the opposite of that. So when she did return, she could be even that more loving and peaceful on this planet. And then I turned to her and I said, oh, and the other really weird, funny thing that happened was this is the way that people on your planet say hello. <laughs> and so I put her hand up to mine and all of a sudden her face, she just like started staring at me, like went white and she was speechless for a second. I was like, is everything okay? She's like, April, that is how my husband and I wake up each morning and say hello to each other. Oh, damn. I was floored. I was like, what? She goes, yeah. She's like, every morning when we wake up, we turn over to each other. We don't say anything. I put my hand out. He puts his hand on mine. And that's how we say hello to each other when we wake up. And of course, here I am. I'm thinking, I'm making all this up in my head, but maybe there's some truth to it. But I'm just going to say everything that I saw and everything that I experienced. And that was such a validating moment for me because it was like, holy crap. What did I just see? (laughs) What was this experience? How is it that her and her husband, like this is the way that they wake up and say hello to each other. And I had no, no information about that. So, okay, if that was the planet that she was from, maybe in human form, she kind of taught her husband like, oh, you know, like how couples will just like have their little idiosyncrasies of Mm -hmm. what they do. Well, that was theirs. And so that was like a really fascinating moment for me because I was investigating and trying to learn how to send my consciousness anywhere in the universe. I had a strong intent, which is important when you're working with your consciousness. You know, the intent is I'd like to see this planet from where this person is from, have a better understanding of what's going on with this self-loathing and the self-esteem. And what I've learned is that when you have a strong intent, strong focused intent with your consciousness, you really can go anywhere. You can access so much information and so many other dimensions I haven't had that many stories like that in a long time to be able to tell, but that is one that just blew me out of the water. And it's kind of like people that have these near-death experiences or spiritual awakenings, or you know, when I heard your Princess of Darkness story, mm-hmm. it's like that planet is forever burned in my memory. Like there's no way I can make that up. It is so crystal clear to this day when I tell it, like I can feel it. I can feel the peace. I can see these radiant greens and colors and I can still see the beings that I encountered. It didn't feel like a dream. It didn't feel like an imagination of something, you know, that just like came and went. I mean, it's still crystal clear to this day. And, you know, a lot of people that have pretty profound experiences will tell it as if like it happened yesterday, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So it was a it was a really cool uh, moment for me, kind of early on in my Reiki experience. That is a good one. I love that story. Yeah, that you're right though. When I've had hypnosis sessions where I've gone back to a planet accidentally, like we were working on something else, and then all of a sudden I was like, "And there's a planet," you know. You're like kind of hunched <laughs> over to the side because you're you're under. And then afterwards, you're kind of like, whoa, but there is, a, like you said, such a distinct difference between, oh, like I was sort of daydreaming about that. And no, that was a memory. It feels like a memory. It feels crisp. It feels like I was really there. And mm-hmm. so cool that as a healer, you were able to feel like you were really there. Yeah. You weren't even the person who was meant, well, you were meant to be there, but you weren't from there. And right. I just think you're offering an incredible service. I imagine that there are many people who wish they could have a therapist who were who was willing to explore something like that. I you know, I mean, travel to different galaxies. Of yeah, planet. no big deal. <laughs> planet you might be from. <laughs> just put that on your resume. It's right. <laughs> I mean, that you just don't find that very often. You really don't. That people are open to that. The second hypnotist I went to. She was like, no, when I accidentally went to a planet during the mm-hmm. session afterwards, she was like, you know, her eyes were huge. And she was like, I don't know what happened. It's not in my book. You know, <laughs> she was just like, this is not part of the program that I was taught. And I think that nine times out of 10, that's what you're going to get with therapists or hypnotherapists or hypnotists, whatever. They're just going to be like, WTF, this is not in my workbook. Right. Or so they might they, say, oh, that, that's interesting. And yeah. Psychoanalyze it away or, you <laughs> yeah, know, like you're psycho. Out, but, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'll tell you that experience was kind of one of my like crazy moments too of like, oh my God, did I really, did this session really happen? Like, you know, this was kind of when I was, I would say more of a spiritual awakening and my practice was also starting to happen. But like that moment for me after, when I went home at the end of the day, it's like, I can't tell anybody the story. Who the heck would like people are going to think I am crazy. Like people are going to send me, you know, to like the hospital. But, you know, when you have those moments that are just so extraordinary and they just feel so real, so right. And, but it's not, that's not really like dinner conversation that I'm going to bring to like the holiday party. Or that. What kind of holiday and parties it, are you going to? Yeah. <laughs> the, wrong well, ones. the wrong ones. But I'm kidding. really, but what what was really helpful for me to be able to start like coming out and talking about these stories was my podcast because I would finally get guests on that would talk about like these galactic beings and you know I I have a, I work a lot with these blue healers you know from that's what I call them I call them the blue healers but I have like these entities that come in those beautiful blue in my sessions and you know I've been working with them and then all of a sudden I meet people on my podcast that like write books you know population here of of entities and aliens. I'm like, Oh, okay. So there's a name for them, you know, but that the podcast and the work that I do with path 11 really helped me to get a little more comfortable in my own skin to start talking about some of the experiences that I was having in my healing sessions. But you can kind of feel alone if you don't have that community or, you know, friends or family to be able to say, yeah. Oh, you want to hear this? And they'll just kind of look at you like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, so what are we having for dinner? It's just, you're right, though. It's not the the average dinner time talk or subject matter, let's say. But 
I try now as I get older to surround myself with more and more weirdos so that it is okay to bring up like, hey, I just talked to April about this planet that she, you know, and that's I I want it to be more normal. So that was a very woo thing. I just want to make sure that I'm not missing out on another particularly profound woo experience you've had. Is there another that you would you would like to share? Yeah, there, there's one. And I'm going to text you a couple of pictures or okay. email them to you afterwards because this just happened. And this ties into my mom. Okay. So when you talk about fairies, my aunt, my mom's sister was very much of the elemental kingdom. Okay. Just loved fairy energy, would buy fairies for people, gnomes, the elves. I mean, everything. She was like of that world, right? On year two of my mom's anniversary, October 19th of 2021 this year, decide to go up to her grave, you know, and have like a little ceremony, had a couple of things that I wanted to bury near her grave and brought moms and stuff like that. So I go up there with my cousin, which is my mom's sister's daughter. So, you know, we didn't have any other siblings. We were only children. So it was like we're sisters, right? So our moms are sisters and we're first cousins. And so we go up there to do this. And as I'm digging up in the dirt, I'm having like my own, you know, just like ceremony of what I'm doing and what I had planned. We see this tall redheaded guy in a green sweatshirt and brown pants, like start coming towards the ceremony. He's got backpack on. And I'm like, oh my God, like what? what is, what is going on here? Is somebody really coming at this time right now? As I'm like doing this ceremony for my mom, I'm like figures, right? So he puts a blanket down. Now he's sitting outside in the cemetery and we're kind of looking and my cousin had a Rottweiler with us and the Rottweiler's like barking a little bit, no big deal. So he's just sitting there. I'm like, all right, I wanted a little bit of privacy to be able to do the ceremony, but I guess, you know, we're going to have to have somebody outside here doing, you know, here with us. So I continue to do what it is that I'm doing. And now all of a sudden, this gentleman, elf, whatever you want to call him, walks into the ceremonies, going to certain graves. And he's going to certain graves, what appears to be of veterans. And he stands there, he salutes them, and then he starts walking around the cemetery. And now our focus is taken off of my ceremony and what I'm doing. (laughs) And we're looking at this guy. And he starts to get a little bit closer. And as he gets a little bit closer, I say to my cousin, Kara, I'm like, is he in a costume right now? I think he's in a fucking elf costume right now. And sure enough, he's not in a green sweatshirt. He's, he's an elf of some sort with a green hood, elf hood, and these brown pants. I think it would be an elf. An elf of some sort. There was like another name that we were trying to like Google and look up if these like mysterious elves come to the great sites of people for ceremonies or whatever. So I'm like, and it's close to Halloween, right? Because it's October 19th. So I'm like, I think this guy is in a Halloween elf costume of some sort. So now his behavior is a little strange and a little weird, and it's starting to get closer to us. And we're laughing because if anything, we're just like laughing at our mother saying, really, guys, is uh, did you guys bring this guy here? Like, what is going on? This has mm-hmm. to be, you know, Aunt Dee Dee's doing that. We have a freaking elf or some man in this weird costume that is now wandering around the ceremony. And now he's coming closer to us. The Rottweiler is going crazy, barking. And he is literally one row of, of graveyards, right? So like my mom's grave is here. And he's like within... 15 feet of us, 10, 15 feet of us. And he's just standing there staring at us, 
right? And he's got this really bright orange curly hair. He's got his hood up and he's just standing there with his hand on his chin. And I'm like, do we say anything? Do we talk to him? And the the dog's freaking out. She goes, do you want me to stop the dog from barking? I'm like, no, probably not. Let's just, I I just want to stay focused on what I'm doing. So it was very distracting, the whole thing. It ruined my whole goddamn plan, right? Of like (laughs) wanting to like breathe and release the stuff and whatever. So then he goes back over to the fence and eventually he leaves, but he's walking down the road with a shovel, a tambourine on his back (laughs) and God knows what else. And I'll show you this picture because I have a video of him walking by and in this elf costume, it is the weirdest, freakiest thing ever. And then he leaves and, you know, goes off into the distance and he's just walking, but it was really strange. I'm like, okay, there is a guy in an elf costume with a backpack. He's got a yoga blanket, a tambourine attached to the back and he's carrying a shovel and was just like within 10 feet of us with here we are like trying to have this ceremony with my mom. So it was just so bizarre. So of course my cousin and I, everything's a synchronicity. Everything's a sign. What does this mean? And we start to Google some sort of like, Celtic tradition folklore of are there elves the size of six foot men or whatever with red hair? And my cousin found something. It wasn't exactly, but there was a little something in like this, this folklore of it. I'm like, okay. So we're there for about an hour. And I'm like, you want to drive down the road and see like, if we could find him, if he's still there, because this is in a very rural, remote part of New York. And to be walking on this highway, it's like, where are you going in this elf costume with a shovel and a tambourine? Like, now I'm really (laughs) curious. And was this something? Like, was this something woo? Or was it just really bizarre and weird? Is this a real human being? Or was did something kind of manifest in this whole experience to kind of keep it light? So, you know, maybe our moms were, were doing something. So we drive down the road and we never found them. That was just something that recently happened that I'm still kind of like, not freaked out about, but it's like, what in the hell was that? And the pictures are just bizarre. Like, I'll send the pictures to you. You can see them and just check them out. And you yourself will be like, that is fucking strange. (laughs) But, you know, or that was really woo. Because when, again, when you think of it, the timing, the synchronicity, the location of where we were, this ceremony that I had planned, this grieving moment that I wanted to have, our mothers being very much like tricksters. And every time they would travel together, they would come back with some crazy ass story like this, you know, that my cousin and I can like now tell. And the fact that it kind of had this elfy energy to it was like, so my aunt that it just kind of felt extremely comical, really far out there and strange, but also comforting at the same time, because we're like, this might have had something to do with our moms. We're not sure, but it was so bizarre. So that was my most recent really weird woo moment a couple months ago. That's a doozy. I yeah. love that too. I did, I can't wait to see the pictures. You know, when I work with my grandmothers who they all hang out together, I don't know how that happened. And mediums have called them the golden girls which that's now what i call them and they all kind of all get together and they are trickstery too like they will play jokes and they'll they're always kind of trying to make sure i don't get too serious and so they're like come on lighten up you know i feel like that's what they're always saying and i just had this quick flash of like two women just 
joking and being like, oh, they're about to do the ceremony. Let's let's do something really funny. And your aunt maybe being connected to the elemental world called up a friend, so to speak, and said, hey, can you do this really fucking weird thing? <laughs> and just just make it so bizarre that they will be not even paying attention to the ceremony, which maybe exactly. from the spirit realm, they were like, we don't want you to be serious about your ceremony. Let's focus on something lighter. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it was so bizarre. So funny. It's a memory that we're going to have for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, that's we hard go to up forget. There, yeah. <laughs> we're going to wonder, you know, it, but, but, and again, like, I don't know if this is normal clothing. When you see it, you're going to have to tell me, email me back and see if you think that this is a costume. But, you know, it, it would be like some woman dressed with a halo and wings and like showing up. I mean, it was so out of character and so bizarre. And the, the timing, I really believe in timing and synchronicity that nothing is like ever off. Like it's always happening the way that it's supposed to. So that was, a, that was a funny story. I thought that you'd appreciate. Oh, totally. And you've mentioned that it was October 19th, but that's still a bit early for the, Halloween shenanigans, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that feels like, I, like you're like too early for this madness. I feel like the maybe the following weekend would be when it would get kind of weird. And right. then that kind of rolls through maybe the first weekend of November. But, and what's cool though, is that it is in October, which is considered the most liminal month of the year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe that was the time that he awesome. could pass through who knows i really can't wait to see these pictures yeah. we also had a yoga mat that i brought so that we could sit on you know yeah. um while i was kind of digging and planting the mums and the other part of this we joke about the yoga mat disappeared and i was like was he that much of a trickster that did he like take the yoga mat with him like where did our freaking yoga mat go our yoga mat completely disappeared couldn't find okay. it anywhere that's odd yeah. And what's interesting, though, that you mentioned that is that when I was speaking with the fairy expert, she said one of the most common things that fairies like to do and that she hears about most frequently is that they steal shit from you. They'll just take it and you'll feel crazy because oh, you'll be do. in a place like a graveyard where nobody else is. And there's your yoga mat and, and you'll be like, but how it was here and now it's not here. And you'll think you're crazy, but it's actually a fairy just swiped it. Just to kind of fuck with you. <laughs> that, yeah. There's no other reason, really. <laughs> and we walked around. We we're like, okay, well, it's a little bit windy out. Did we somehow, when we got distracted by him, because, you know, like, you've seen like David Blaine before, like these mentalist people that can uh -huh. just like take stuff right out from under your nose and you have no clue. And so I'm like, okay, did it, maybe it blew across the street? Like, let's go and check because it would have had to have crossed a fence and then there, there's like this great barricade that stops rocks from falling. So even if it flew into the road, we should have found it on the other side. We walked around the entire graveyard just to see like, okay, maybe it's over in grass over there because there's a little bit of a field to the right. It was gone. Mm. We left without a yoga mat. And I was sitting on it planting mums while I have like one eye on this guy that's coming closer towards us. And at some point, you know, I got up and we're doing other things. Neither of us saw the the yoga mat either blow away, roll away. He didn't come close enough to be able to take it, but we had no yoga mat. Uh, that's a fairy in my mind. I'll yep. wait until I see the pictures, but I, I think just based off of what I've heard, the only other criteria I'd ask about is, did you have any weird time things? 
did you feel like you were there for a really long period of time? Or did you feel like just anything where it was like time related? Uh, not really. I mean, I think we got up there a little bit before noon, like 1030. My cousin had to leave around two. And then I stayed until like about four. So I didn't necessarily have any time warping per se. But the whole thing was just very distracting, you know, distracting and bizarre. And the yoga mat, we still have no explanation for that. Yeah. And I don't think you have to have the time thing happen for it to be an elf or a fairy or or whatever. I just think that that's one of the other ones that's really common is that, you know, you think it's like 20 minutes, but you look at the time and it was two hours or it was a day or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the time thing, I think, like I said, it was about an hour after we saw him. I was like, all right, if he he was walking fairly slow and who knows, you know, with a shovel where maybe he went. um, (laughs) Where was he going uh, to use that? (laughs) I don't know. But I was like, all right, why don't we drive at least three miles? Because if you walk about a 15 minute mile, about 45 minutes it's been, and we went that far. So I don't know where he could have been. I mean, there were other roads that he could have gone off on, but you know, sucked up into a portal or something. I know. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for sharing that. That's a good one. I wanted to wrap up here because I think we've been on for a while. And I want to end this interview with what would you tell new witches or new woo seekers to do in that beginning spot where you kind of feel like you're crazy that we we mentioned before? What would be your advice for them? I think even before you might get into that woo spot or when you're in that woo spot, one thing that was very helpful that was told to me is to release all your belief systems. Whatever it is that you believe, you don't get anything for believing, right? So what if you believe it? Continue to always be your own investigator, your own scientist, and be open to your belief systems being blown out of the water. You know, our belief systems can make us feel very safe, and it makes us feel like we do have all those answers. And well, this is what, what I now know. Like, even though I feel like I have some answers or some questions answered, I'm still constantly checking in with the belief systems that either I start to create and I say, oh, that feels like I'm starting to believe something. Because I feel like once we believe something and we have this belief system, we can begin to cut off other possibilities. You know, like you said, those endless possibilities. Sure. And so... I would say as you're going into this this arena and as you're developing spiritually, the more that you can be in the world without many belief systems, I think that opens you up to opens you up to more of those endless possibilities to be able to experience more things and more woo. I'm gonna take that into yeah. I needed to hear that. Well, is there any last piece of advice or words of wisdom that you have to offer us? Um, last piece of advice, words, and I need to tell myself this every day is just try to have more fun and <laughs> try to <laughs> as much as you can. Like one of the things I'm really working on this year is like having a joy practice, trying to really continually moving into more states of fun, joy, and playfulness. Um, because I feel like that's where it's at. And I think sometimes we can get really caught up and really serious, but I really feel like our natural state is childlike and playful. And so I, that would be my last message. Whenever you can try to have more fun, 
try to allow more joy in and reconnect uh, with that type of frequency. Here, here. <laughs> That's a good one, too. I have to say this real quick, just at the end here. I, again, TikTok, I watched a TikTok recently. Somebody did some research about shaking your ass. And I, it's like legit. I didn't, I hadn't heard of this before. But apparently, specifically white Westerners are really kind of uptight, generally as a culture. And we don't shake our butts enough. And there's actually the psoas uh, situation down there yep. that yep. is connected to trauma, as, as I know you know. So moving that around and releasing that trauma is something that other cultures really embrace. And we just forget, you know, we're in our cars and then we're at our desks and oh, we just we never move. And so we get really tense and tight. And so now I'm a Capricorn. I'm a big, big time worker. You know, I'm always working, working, working. And so it's hard for me to remember this sometimes. And so now every day my partner is like, it's time for you to shake your ass. And so she'll turn on music and we will both, I'm not kidding. We will both just shake our asses for a little bit. And it feels so good. Mm -hmm. It does. You're just like, this is an amazing practice. Because if you are in a bad mood before you shake your ass, you will not be after you are done. It is true. Shaking all the way. So you try to shake your booty. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) Sounds good. It'll probably bring me more joy. So there you go. Yes. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And I look forward to hearing from you with the attachments of the elf man. We'll do that right away. Yes. Right away. Okay. All right. Take care. Happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks, Ben. This just in. April did send over some pictures of the elf being that she encountered and has given me permission to post them on social media. So watch out for them over the next couple days. I will let you know when that happens. Maybe I'll even mark up the image so you can really get a good look at that dude. I shouldn't say dude. It could be that they're non-binary in the elf world. So... I'm just going to call them they, and maybe I'll put a poll on it so you can decide what you think. Is that an elf or is that just a weird human doing weird things? You can book a virtual energy work appointment on her website, hannashealing.com, and you can check out the amazing stuff she's up to at Path 11 Productions, including Path 11 TV and Path 11 Podcast, which, like I said, I highly recommend. Per usual, All of those links will be in the show notes. It's good to be back. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It warmed my heart to see that my numbers did not plummet when I took a break for my wedding and Christmas. So thank you so much. And as always, a special shout out to my patrons. You are badass bitches. Thank you for your extra support. I see you. I appreciate you. Okay. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. 
The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 